you have your Bibles, we get to change passages this morning. We have been in 2 Corinthians and finished last week, and now we're going to head into the Sermon on the Mount, which officially starts in Matthew chapter 5. And uh, so if you want to follow along, though this morning you won't have too many verses you need to follow with, because, because we need an introduction. The Sermon on the Mount, everybody's heard of it, right? I love that we're stepping into that this morning. I treasure Paul's letters. I mean, Paul, I guess especially things like Romans and the prison epistles and where he lays out for you and me. Paul, who met with Jesus and was the actual sent apostle to the Gentiles, of which I'm one. So I love Paul. But he did meet with Jesus. And you know... Jesus is in the Bible. It's a big error. A lot of people, they go, you know, the red letters, that's what we need to know, and those are the spoken words of Jesus. But there is something to be said for the reality that God came to earth and spoke. You know, if I took the Bible and I just opened it up, I closed my eyes and I opened it, what did I get? First Kings. And I just put my finger down and we started talking in First Kings. I believe from Timothy, where Paul writes, that the whole Bible is profitable for you and me. There's goodness in it. There's a message for it. It points to Jesus and about our need for him or all those pieces are good, right? But it's not the same edification as these critical points. There are critical pieces that happen. There are highs and lows. The Bible is a story, and, 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 and there's pieces where you go, hey, this is really important, and emphasis does matter. And the Bible has an emphasis like any book, a narrative emphasis, a, a reality, a message it's trying to give. So it's not just, and sometimes we slip into this because we want to hold the Bible in such esteem, that we go, oh, you know, every single verse, let's just talk about this verse today. Oh, offspring of Abraham, his servant. Oh, we can go off on it. No, 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 wait. There are critical foundational things. It's important that you know them. It, it really is. These things about what the Bible actually does say, who Jesus is. And we actually have these accounts, right, of Jesus and his ministry in the Gospels. Four accounts and have you ever wondered why they're so different? I mean, if, you, if we just went through Advent a little while ago and you realized that, oh, the account in Luke is way different than the account in Matthew. You know, there's, there's no Herod in Luke. There's no wise men in Luke. It's only in Matthew. Why? I want to answer that a little bit today. Because I suppose one of the main goals of this morning, which in this introduction to what we're going to be talking about for the next several, many weeks that birth in your heart and mine would be a desire to know the foundational depth of this scripture and how it affects our Christian lives. Because it does, that we might treasure and hide it in our hearts to see the beauty and the wonder and the specialness of these chapters of Matthew. And more than just treasuring them to grab hold, to really understand the depth of what Jesus is actually saying to you and me in these chapters. Because I really believe with our, my whole heart for us that we need to get these right. 
You don't need to get everything in the Bible right. There's a lot of argument over age of the earth or how things are happening, and, and people are set that they know. But you know what? If you're wrong, it just doesn't matter. You're going to get to heaven. There are a lot of things. You're going to go, oh, wow, I didn't think that one right, did I? <laughs> you and Jesus can have a good laugh. Not this. Not this. This becomes really important. Because as you encounter the Jesus that's here, and as you and I read the Gospels, if we don't get the actual, critical, central message right, we go off into all sorts of things. I I did. That's my personal testimony. I read through the Bible, and, and this super important section really has a charge to do better. A frame for sort of pushing through adversity. Like, like hard things will happen, but keep on doing good and keep on pushing through. And the, and, and the Sermon on the Mount is chock full of all sort of practical handles that, that you can grab hold of. And so I grabbed. Fight lust. Fight anger. Avoid divorce. Do, do these things. And... and I saw a great story this week. You know, it's Super Bowl week, so I was reading a story about Jalen Hurts, and, and he's a Christian. And the story was that man didn't even reference his Christianity, but it was this amazing, feel-good, awesome story about how he worked through adversity. You know, he lost his starting job as a quarterback, and, 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 but he was supportive of the guy who got to be the first guy. And, and then it came around, finally, and as he pushed through, now with his humility of heart and his hard work, now he's kind of one of the main starting quarterbacks. So cool. Be like him. You know, if you could find a nice heart inside and, and, and stay soft in your heart, then, 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 then good things will happen to you. That's how I saw the Sermon on the Mount. We'll take a closer look. But what I want to do today is I, I want to make sure that you understand and see the context, why Matthew does what he does in presenting the Sermon on the Mount. And then I want to go up in a drone shot. You know, you can't hardly sell a house anymore without having a drone shot. You've got to get up to 40, 50 feet and see the property and see the way it's going on and see, see the actual thing. So I want to do that today. Today we're doing that. Before we go through, and then we're going to throw through a piece at a time in the next weeks and really get the flow and the context. Because by the end of this, I don't want it to be as much as I can. And I'm sorry that I do this to you. Because we don't do an exam but I feel like sometimes, like for example, even 2 Corinthians, if I passed out an exam, multiple choice today, on 2 Corinthians and all we talked about, I don't know that you would pass. <laughs> I, I'm not doing it. Don't get mad. Don't come back. We don't do exams like that. We don't. But I so want you to walk away from this series going, I stand and I know on what Jesus Christ, the Son of God, told me in the Sermon on the Mount. I talked to several people this this week and I was even like, hey, what's in the Sermon on the Mount? Pastor. Uh, The beatitude. Give me a beatitude. Uh, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Good. That's all good. There's more than that, right? There's how to pray. There's building on the rock. Jesus gave an actual sermon. It it probably didn't take him more than about 45 minutes, an hour to to, to actually speak what's in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. We're going to take way longer. Sorry. 
But, but, but the reality is um, there's such amazing, cool, but you got to get in the right frame. So I'm starting with that today because we get lost when we take a little verse and we just pound out without understanding what's up, what we're talking about. And you really can miss the forest for the trees. That is a true thing. So a good map is important. So here's the plan. Over the next week, we'll take piece by piece the entire sermon, uh, a piece at a time, chapters five through seven. I would encourage you, I'm giving you this front, so I'm not going to do it again. I would encourage you, read it. M- make it your thing this, this month that you read the Sermon on the Mount at least once a week. It's only three chapters. <laughs> Look at it, think about it. Think about what Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is saying because it's all him just talking. See what you think. We are today going to take a huge bite. And we are reading the first two verses. Hey, small steps are okay. Okay, so the, here it is. I'll put it on the board. This is it. It's it. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them. That's it. That, that, that's what we're talking about today. <laughs> the entire Sermon on the Mount is what came out of Jesus' mouth when he opened it and taught them. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, God incarnate, he spoke. Nice. A little background music as we think about God speaking. And I want to answer two quick questions, okay? By looking at the context, what leads up to this? What leads up to this? Why is it such a big deal? Jesus sat down and he spoke. I'm telling you, it's a massive, huge, amazing deal. Why? Why? And I want to look with you and I want you to get in your heart why this is happening, how Matthew presents it. It's amazing. And secondly, importantly, right? What is it really about? What is this? Because that's where we get confused. Okay, to do that, we're going to look first at old echoes. Old echoes. What do I mean? Well, if, if your Bibles are open in Matthew, then you can easily go back and look. It's, it's, it's chapter 5, right? That means there's only four chapters ahead of it. It's early on in Matthew's gospel. You can see. And, and if you have a Bible that does look at red letters, you can make another interesting observation that Jesus has said almost nothing so far. If you start Matthew and you start reading, it says genealogy, and then it starts with some interesting things about his birth and some other things. But he only says a few one-liners. Like, like, like here's one. Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. I plucked that out as it talks there in chapter 3 where Jesus is getting baptized by John the Baptist. John's like, no way, I'm not baptizing you. And Jesus is like, no, it's fitting for me to be associated with you for all goodness. Well, that's, that's kind of cool. Or, or this, right? Matthew chapter 4. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. His ministry really started in 417, and here we are in chapter 5. So this is the beginning of his ministry. He's going to preach about the kingdom of heaven being here nearby. Or in Matthew 4, 19, Jesus says to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. You know, he's talking to his disciples who were fishermen. 
calling of the twelve happens right there before the Sermon on the Mount. Okay. And, and I think about Matthew. And, and if you would think about Matthew with me, you realize Matthew is a Hebrew. He's a Jew. He's a turncoat. He's a traitor to his, his people. That's how they saw these tax collectors who would go and sort of wring money out of people. And that was Matthew. But he had a, a, a Jewish name, right? Levi. He knows the history, the depth, the wonder of who God is. Who is God? Well, he's the God of Abraham, Jacob, the God of Isaac. He's the God of which there's a whole book already about. And and all of that pointing in Matthew's gospel to Jesus. Big deal. So there's this thing that he's been doing and this thing that Matthew does to build up to the Sermon on the Mount. At least I think it's a build up. You can decide for yourself. What is it? It's linking Jesus with the history of Israel. Linking Jesus with the history of Israel. It is a big deal, right? Because the whole story of the Old Testament begins with Adam and Eve in the garden and they eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and they fall and they're put out of the garden not to come back. But there's this promise in Genesis 3.15 of a coming rescuer, a coming redeemer, a coming seed, right? And the whole story has been and is about what God does as he develops this storyline of mankind being evil and against him and the flood and the horror and all these things. And yet through it all, God chooses one person, Abraham, and and becomes the God of Abraham as he calls him out and makes him this nation and, 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 and gives him a relationship. I know all that. But we did Exodus. Remember that? Remember that, that God's people went down to Egypt. God brought them there through, through Joseph. And they became so numerous that Pharaoh's like, there's too many of these people. Let's start killing the babies. Remember that? And, 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 then, and then God delivered his people. He called them out of Egypt through Moses. They passed through the waters of the Red Sea. They were organized into 12 tribes based on the number of kids that, that, that Jacob had. And, and then there are 40 years in the wilderness. And, and before that, in the middle of that time, Moses is sending the mountain to receive the law. Deliver to the people God's law. Right? I mean, I mean that, that's just the story. That's Exodus in a nutshell. That's this idea of the rescuer God who rescues his people. And then you get Matthew. Well, that's interesting. That's, that's, Matthew says God's child is in Egypt where he's fled to, right? Out of Egypt I will call my son. And he's there because this king, Herod, he decided, you know, we're going to kill all the babies. To get this, oh, why that sounds kind of familiar. It's like Pharaoh in Egypt. Matthew, only Matthew with this story out before us of, of, of these links that show of Jesus and the, the history of Israel and they're happening to him. Right? 
I mean, I mean, that's not all. He passes through the water of baptism. Hey, just like the Red Sea. So you get, you get Jesus actually saying, it's fitting for me to be baptized. Here I am imaging the people of Israel through the Red Sea. The waters of baptism. The calling of the twelve. My twelve disciples. And you, you have to hear, if you can hear, an echo of the twelve tribes of Israel. That, that, that's going on, right? And then he ascends the mountain, but not before he has 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness. I mean, in the wilderness. So that's the name of the book of Numbers. <laughs> this amazing reality of, of, of Jesus echoing what's happening in the Old Testament. And, and then so you get... The, the, what's, what, what goes on with that? Why is that like that? Because it, it ends with and it goes to this incredible image of Jesus Christ going up on the mountain, the hill. And what happened on the hill? Well, they met with God. Well, Moses met with God. And, and the law was given to Moses and all the instructions. It's not just the rules. That's not the issue. The issue is, oh yeah, they went up and he got the rules that they're going to do and they brought down the rules. There was. No, it's the law. It's, it's the relationship. It's everything that they're going to be in order to be God's covenant people through Moses. Here, you guys, this is what's going to happen. And there are pieces of it, but I, here's a description. You are God's special people. And, 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 and he's He's yours. through Moses. It's amazing. And there is a striking difference. You're meant to see it. It's actually a big piece of coming into the Sermon on the Mount to me is that this amazing Moses went up alone because these fearful people stayed far away from God. And and so you have Jesus, a better Moses, and there he is on the mountain and all the people are gathered round him. Right, he, 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 the whole the whole idea with these old echoes is that is that you get to see both similarities but also differences, and the wonder of who gets to be hearing God. Pretty amazing. God Himself speaking directly in the mouth of Jesus because Jesus is God. That's the whole thing. You say, well, he's the new Moses. But no, he's not really. He's, he's something more. And then the most striking thing is who gets to be around him. Be- because Moses, you know, you, you could be around him if you're part of the covenant community. That meant circumcision. That meant following certain things. Is, is that what, what are the things going to be so that I can be close to God? What, what are those things for you and me? I'm, I want to know. And the first amazing thing is that God gathers the people, his disciples, but the crowds are there too. And people are gathered to hear from a Jesus who isn't so strikingly fearful that you run away. Incredible. Now, on the other hand, you know, what is our relationship and how does the law fit in? And if you had any question about that, how does the law fit in? You should be going to these chapters because this is the closest analogy we have, right? Of God saying, okay, like Moses went up on the mountain, here's Jesus going up on the hill and he's speaking the authoritative interpretation of the law. Again, not, not the rules, 
what it means to be in relationship. The kingdom of heaven. The gospel. I mean, that's where Matthew's put Jesus in this one sermon. It's where you want the revelation came through Moses from God about the covenant keeping they were going to do. And it was all about their responsibility. Sure, it was about how they were to be the people of God. So people say, hey, you know, there's kingdom principles for you and me. Sure. Sure. What are they, though? People say, hey, you know, it's God speaking to man about relationship. Yes. What's the relationship? People who say that there's something new going on. Yes, Jesus is new, amazing, and much different. But there's also something old. There's also the whole line of what's happening. Jesus doesn't give a new law like he does away with Moses. He's presented as better over, more authoritative, more direct. Jesus speaks. Moses spoke of things that were going to be spoken about later. And Jesus speaks. That's what Hebrews 3 said this morning. I won't put it back up. So so it's far more intense than most people realize. It's far more important because all through the Old Testament, you have these statements and realities where people's status was whether or not they kept the law, whether or not they listened to the law. You know, kings, they were supposed to make a copy of the law for their rule. They didn't do it, but that was one of the accusations God made against them. You know, they got kicked out of the kingdom. The, the, they got kicked out of the actual land in no small part because they didn't, they didn't keep the law. Not the Ten Commandments. The law that says every seven years you give the land a rest. So God said, you won't give them a rest, I will. Amazing. It's in Jeremiah. He talks all about it. First lay on this side, then lay on that side. People were to follow the law of Moses. And here comes Jesus. And you know what? Almost everybody I know, man, if I say, what's the Ten Commandments? They, they can get most of them. If I say, what's the law of God? They go, at least, they at least can say, don't murder, don't commit adultery, uh, keep the Sabbath, but I don't know that that's for today. I mean, we start talking about the law because it's such a heavy thing. But I say, hey, what's, what's the Sermon on the Mount? Uh... Jesus said some really important things. Dude, you commit it to your heart. You say, yeah, this is the foundation of what it means for us to be, be, be in relationship. And, and God himself, Jesus, is talking about it. And, and I want to make sure we get it right. I want to make sure we understand it and know it. Uh, you don't want to take it wrongly. Welcome to what we're going to do over the next weeks. We're going to take this and take a good hard look at what Jesus is saying. Okay, that, that's, that's the old echoes, that's the setup. And I think the way that it's set up particularly helps you and me see the importance of it to Matthew. Matthew's leading in and then all of a sudden, boom, big teaching from Jesus. And there'll be more teachings, it's not over, it's not the only word from Jesus. Jesus speaks in parables, he does amazing healings. In fact, he does some healings right before he comes in to the Sermon on the Mount. It's way more than Jesus did. John says you can't fill the books up with, but the planning in Matthew of setting it up so you see this very important teaching that connects to the Old Testament and what law is. I want to know. Okay, so let's take the drone up. 
We'll fire it up, and we want to talk about some new realities for a minute. Again, this is all we're covering today. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. He opened his mouth, and he taught them. The actual verse 2 there says he taught them, saying, and here comes the content. So what's the content? What is it from a big picture look? What, what are we talking about? Well, first, first I, want, I want you to see, and it doesn't come out so well here, but, but Matthew, again, he's very particular. He says clearly, he, 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 he is all over verses 1 and 2 of chapter 5. Five times, which is a lot, is the word he, like specifically. And Jesus sat himself down. He, he sat down. And he opened his mouth. And he spoke. And his disciples came to him. It's like, oh. Oh. This is about Jesus. This is. There's an emphasis as we start to take the drone up that this is about Jesus. Him, 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 him. God speaking directly. And it's a wonder to people, remember, again, who are not holy are not set apart like we would think they should be. Not doing everything they should be doing. I mean, his disciples are a ragtag bunch of fishermen and zealots and tax collectors. And God's giving an authoritative speaking to them. Huge, and didn't happen in the Old Testament. And then, and then he gets shocking. I mean, his first words are how amazingly fortunate are those who are absolutely destitute. That's how he starts, right? Physically, morally, spiritually. How lucky are losers and people who hunger and thirst for what they don't have? No, no, I'm fortunate when I get what I desire. I'll tell you what. So many people right away, when you start even the, the beginning, what's called the Beatitudes, which are these statements of blessing, that they say, okay, I'm on it. New Ten Commandments, you know, get this way in order to be blessed. They're confused. And it's not the picture. He's not being prescriptive. There's no command in the blessings as you start. And when you later at home, look at those blessings. Look for a command. It's not there. Jesus is making statements. It's descriptive. We'll talk about this next week. People in his kingdom. And it sounds a bit scary, honestly. Blessed are the destitute. How happy are those with deep sadness? How, how lucky are the losers? How the obscure, the beat upon? I'm not sure I want that to be me. Do I? It's not the Jalen Hurts story. I totally get it if you know. Blessed are those who get humble for a little while so they can ultimately be like amazing. Like I feel like that's one of the ways that you twist this stuff around is you start getting a little bit more along the lines of, oh, you know, that's really bad, but God's got a purpose for it. It's going to make you stronger. That's not the Beatitudes. You to find somewhere else for that. God's like, how amazing when you are if you're in Luke and you do Luke's Sermon on the Plains, simply poor. What I desperately don't want to be. Or when I'm spiritually poor, that means I don't have the things that I think I should have at all. Doesn't mean that I'm, 
you know, piously humble. So, so there's something otherworldly going on. The, the picture that we get to see as we go up is something deep going on. It's not an affirmation of good law keeping. Yet Jesus is really clear, the parallel to law giving to Moses. And he's talking about the work of the law. He is, because he says this, because he's got some authoritative interpretation of God's law. What do I mean? Well, he says there, right, in chapter 5, I didn't come to abolish the law. He's not here to say the law is gone, but to fulfill it, he says. And then, then sort of looking in from the drone camera, he unpacks the law, how, how intense it is, how high the standards are. You've heard it said, don't commit murder. But I say to you, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery. But I say to you, he's directly addressing the law of God. And you know what I hear right away? Condemnation. Because it trashes the way I think I come to God, which is morally in myself. Strength, strong, improving, trying, eventually attaining. I want to leave the Beatitudes. I want to go work on this. We need to be way better than we are. Even though, you know, I'm doing just fine by the Ten Commandments, that starts to make me assured. But, but then I start to see what Jesus is talking about, and I start to lose that assurance because my assurance is grounded in how I'm doing. Always the mirror. And by the way, just from the cursory, we're going to have to talk about... I, I, no. Dax, don't be rebellious against God. I get it. Okay. But Jesus Christ says that if you're angry at anyone, it's murdering them. It is not the same. Jesus Christ says if I even look with a tiny, I, I, I just glance with lust at someone, then I control it quickly. That that's adultery. Here's my flesh. No, it's not. That is not reasonable. There are worse things and, and things that are sure bad, but they didn't really hurt anybody and it's okay. How can these things be? Why am I so fighting against what Jesus is saying? Because it doesn't seem reasonable. It, it doesn't. And I don't like it. Because I'm doing fine with the murder and the adultery thing. But if you start talking about even getting frustrated. What are you talking about, Willis? Sorry, that's an old. <laughs> Got to be old to get that one. <laughs> oh. This is God speaking, and it isn't sounding too reasonable. I mean, it quickly becomes something I crash into. It's a wall that crushes my little car of Christian living. I'm tootling along, looking for a little help and a little gasoline for my car. And Jesus puts a wall up and I smash into it. That's what's going on in the Sermon on the Mount, at least in these portions. And so here's Jesus in this straightforward sermon. Don't think that just because you haven't committed adultery, you haven't murdered, that you're in the clear. He's talking about God's law and he isn't saying don't worry about it. He's saying everybody should be squirming. They're honest at all. You say, well, that's what it means to be a kingdom citizen. That's fine. Then are you one? God speaks, and what's needed by you is real goodness. That, that means it's not just to God, at least, as Jesus presents it. We're still looking at this big picture. It's 
It's not external, it's internal. Where do I get that? Sermon on the Mount. I actually don't get that. I mean, you do by this thing of saying, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. I, I get that. Those are summary statements. But Jesus drives it home in the Sermon on the Mount. And it's not just about doing the right thing. It's about having the right heart. Because my law keeping, whether sort of, sort of legalistic or loose, is almost always about externals. You know, what a person does or doesn't do. The righteous person does right things and avoids wrong things. The wicked person, vice versa, they, they do wrong things and avoid the right things. I'm judgeable by my behavior. I can look and see, do good and avoid the, the bad. And, 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 you know, I, I, I've given, we've done this, but here's the picture. It's, it's the picture is, is the Christian school. What do you mean in a Christian school? Every Christian school, most. It's like they have these character awards. You get to come up every month and your kid gets a character award for the good things that they've done. I know, because, you know, I observe the kids and I've got kids of my own and they laugh at who got the character award because they know about all the things the kid's actually doing, but they got an award from the teacher for doing a few things that the, the the teachers on the outside. The hypocrisy is thick. But our hypocrisy is thick too. Even when you do the right thing with the wrong motive, it's going to be a revelation of our need and how unrighteous we are. There's no question the pressure's building on the Sermon on the Mount because this is where we get it from. Jesus easily could have modeled behavior based after the Pharisees. I mean, that was the goal. I've come to make you good. Goodness is good behavior, but it's not the goal. He calls the Pharisees whitewashed tombs. And we get that, I get that. But then somehow in my Christian life, I go the opposite way. Isn't it remarkable? Isn't it remarkable that I give myself kudos for doing Christian disciplines that I don't want to do? Dude, I so wanted to sleep in today, but I got up at five and read my Bible. Are you just revealing your unrighteousness? Why didn't you long to get up? Why didn't you sleep at all? I couldn't sleep. I just had to read. I just love to read my Bible all the time. Whitewashed tombs includes you, you know. That, that's, that's the deal. It's a tough one for us to process because it stands, it doesn't seem to include me. And so you're mostly, here. this is either sort of this horrible, difficult, crushing weight if you're honest about the text, but maybe I can get there if I, if I really want to be a child of God. And I'll come faithfully and hear from a pastor about how to have some tips to attain the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus gives these, this counsel for. And I'll keep it up for the rest of my life. And uh, eventually I'm super tired all the time. And sometimes I feel like I'm doing it. And especially I get in the right people who, who seem to do it right. And sometimes I fall off the bandwagon. And that's life, right? No. Again, we're, we're high. I don't get to go into details today, but, but there's another way to see the whole thing, right? It's not, you, you can. It's there. The law crushes you. The commandments are high. They're not low. We'll talk about all that, raising the bar. It's very, very high. And, and, and there it is. And you look at it and you're like, I just can't do that. And you get crushed. That's the work of the law. That's what the Bible says the work of the law is. There's another way to hear it, which is the him, him, him way, Right? Can you hear God speaking to you? It's marvelous. 
Why is it marvelous? Why would God speak to you? You weren't in the chosen covenant people. You're not an Israelite. You haven't done the proper sacrifices. And you get to hear Jesus. And and you can hear it as one who has nothing. That's how it starts, right? Blessed are the poor in spirit. I am poor. And then I get to hear it as promise. Look at what the kingdom of heaven will be. Who's going to do that? My Savior is. God is because he can't. Do you know who can change a heart? God can change a heart. Do you know who can't? You. Jesus says, don't be anxious for anything. Do you know who's anxious all the time? Me. Why shouldn't I be anxious? Because the one who has the ability is God. Well, that still is very anxiety provoking because he's told me to do these things. No, it's not anxiety-provoking if it comes with his amazing love that he will get you there. Trust him. That's a whole other path. It's the path of the Sermon on the Mount and the story of the gospel. I mean, it's not just these few commands, and there's more of them, we'll, we'll go through more, that crush us. There's also Jesus teaching us how to pray, right? That's the Sermon on the Mount. That's this picture on how, do you know how Jesus tells us to pray and do we pray that way? Why, why, do we, why, why did he say these things? And you know what it centers on? Forgiveness. But I wonder why. I wonder why that the prayer is forgive us our sins when Jesus told us to be obey and we're going to obey. Right? It's going to be amazing. We'll look at that. It's called the Lord's Prayer, but it's, it's not for Jesus. It's for us. And we don't need to be anxious, not because we've kept these rules, but because we have no hope in ourselves at all. That's the ticket, right? We have this incredible hope because we have the foundation of the rock who is Christ. This is Jesus' very first teaching, Matthew. Matthew tees it up. It's a definitive take on the law. Here's what a relationship with God looks like. A kingdom kid from the lips of the better than Moses. But this very Jesus with authority over life and death, with authority over sickness and disease, with authority over blindness to heal, with authority over everything. He goes to the cross and dies for you and me. Not as an example. As a savior. He is the anointed one. And I'll tell you, our hope goes up tremendously as we put our eyes on him. This Jesus is incredible. And he did every single necessary thing for you and for me. Stop. Okay, we will be changed. So first, today, would you see the incredible importance of God speaking right here? This is a big deal. And I know every page of the Bible is a big deal, but I hope you can see how Matthew sets it up and has set it up for us as we go into this. This is something you want to know. You want to have solid. You don't want to be uncertain about. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, presenting the kingdom and what it means for you and me. I want that for you. So so we want to treat the Sermon on the Mount as sort of this divine self-help manual. That's our natural 
flesh, but it's not a blueprint for our best life now. The drone picture shows something really different from God's mouth. So, so that's, that's the second thing, that you would begin to, to say, okay, I'm going to process this through the lens and the eyes of the reality of the scriptures, the gospel of Jesus Christ. The drone shot is shocking. God has come and he proclaims that the law doesn't do what you're trying to make it do, that what you think it should have done and it doesn't and has never led to God abandoning us. It's so much wider and broader and deeper the love of Christ than we could ever know. Jesus takes morality and he demolishes our best efforts and he sets us free by seeing that we can never attain these on our own. And it's never been about us attaining this with a little help from friend Jesus. It's about Jesus Christ for us. So lift these, will you? And we will to these beautiful, exalted, high levels of the beauty of God's law and the wonder that it is fulfilled in Christ. And we are left by promise as those who are poor in spirit, obscure, lost, losers, promised life by this Son of God. Do we trust him? And I just want to close with this, and I, I, we put it in the bulletin, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. This is our Savior. He is our righteousness. And he gives that amazing declaration and truth to you. Welcome to Sermon on the Mount. We'll have a good time. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this amazing sermon that, that you gave us. This text of deeply how amazing it is that we get to be in the kingdom. We who trust in you. And Lord, I pray that by your Holy Spirit we would trust, not in ourselves, not in our righteousness, not in our accomplishment, but in you. We are amazed at what you have done. And even, Lord, your heart, that we get to be a part of it. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.